somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> I am the Senate. Yes. Do it. You have done well. Excellent. Everything is going as planned. Welcome to Exegol, fuckers. Um, Jesus Christ. We start this off with Cards Against Star Wars, like always. Well, this is episode one. No, it's not episode one. This is two. Just kidding. I've been reading Padawan, so I thought this it was This is like one. our sixth episode. Is it? Wow. I um, do not know the Did timeline. Did you forget Maul? Well, I mean like releasing order, bro. This will be our second. Mm. Is it? I think. Well, that's what I was getting at. I don't know. Anyway, Kaylee's got a black card. We were playing... Okay, let's back up a little bit. We're playing Cards Against Star Wars. Ty is annoyed with me already, so this is going to be a fun event. Uh, <laughs> I'm annoyed with the computer, not you. I'm well aware, but it's just... It, my comment, you were like, Ugh, shut up already and Mine get to the comment. point. Um, anyway, so we have Cards Against Star Wars. I have the black cards. If you have never played Cards Against Humanity, then you might be a little confused. Um, and I'm going to read the black card out loud, and Ty has to either fill in the blank or answer the question with the 10 white cards that he has. Penis, 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 penis. Anyway, anyway. I have three black cards, so we're only going to do three. Okay. Okay. So, black card number one says, Palpatine became a Sith because he had blank. Palpatine became a Sith because... A Sith? A Sith because he had blank? Correct. All right, so here we go. Palpatine became a Sith because he had that that little bitch, Anakin. Yeah, he's a little bitch. <laughs> I mean, I can't in, wait in to all watch honesty. Attack of the Clones and just rip him oh apart. Oh, my God. I, fuck. Let's go. Let's go. I'm, I, what the fuck was Let's that? Let's go, bro. Okay, our next one. Blank. A Star Wars story. Blank. A star- <laughs> I mean, you should have used that little bitch Anakin <laughs> for this one. Blank. A Star Wars story. What do you got? What do you got? Gimme, 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 gimme. Here we go. Sorry for you, Raylos out there. Kylo Ren's micro penis. A Star Wars story. Um. How's that? Let's be honest. I don't you. think that um that would be an accurate statement. I think it would be. Have you seen the size of that man's hands? So? You know what they say. Yeah, big you, hands. You got a tiny big penis. Big gloves. Let me tell you what. When I was in the military, I saw a lot of tiny penises from big men. So. Okay. Tiny micro penises. That's okay. They're good for something. Like legit micro penises or just tiny penises? Both. Seriously? Yeah. Look like little mushrooms. Okay, but like a micro penis is like mm-hmm. the 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 mm. the thinness of my mm-hmm. pinky and I like I know what a micro penis is. I am a man. Yeah, There's but like more did you see that many micro penises? Yes. I'm disturbed. Okay. Um anyway. Last black card we it's have Kaylee's worst nightmare. 
<laughs> tiny penises? <laughs> a micro a micro penis orgy. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm not shaming anybody, but like nobody gets off. <laughs> oh. Oh. I mean, there's other ways to get off than by a penis. Yeah, but come on. On what? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but they still come. Anyway, this is not a family friendly podcast. Um, last black card. Daddy, what's a micro penis? No. Oh my god. Last black card. We have Jabba can eat so much blank before he's full. If you say pussy, I'm fucking done. If it says something like Ray's pussy or something like that, Jabba I'm fucking can done. Eat so much blank before he's full. I don't have anything. Oh god. You want to pull a random card out of the box? Let's see. Let's see. Random card. Go ahead. So, Jabba can eat so much of Count Dooku's sagging hairy ball sack before he's full. That's better than I. That's so gross. (laughs) There's your white cards. Empress. Let's see if you had anything. Bitch slapping Padme. Fapping to overly sexualized art of Star Wars characters. That's what Reddit's for. Um, wearing a garter belt and tights under your robe. Hell yeah, I'd fucking do that. Hiding the Death Star plans in your pussy because it's not a porno and no one will look there. <laughs> I just fucking snorted. That That's how George Lucas thought about things. There's no brawls in, in space, Leia. Ah, stupid. Watching Chewie when he got the zoomies. The zoomies. What are zoomies? It's it's when like uh you're either high or drunk. And like have you ever like like gotten really drunk and then you lay down in bed and then you got the zoomies and you're like, Holy fucking What does that mean? What is zoomies? It's like when you get super drunk and you lay down in bed and then like you your brain gets really confused and like you close your eyes and everything's going really fast. I mean, I've been both drunk and high, and that's happened. So yeah, I understand. That's a zoomie. I did not know there was a word for that. Yeah, it's I just the meant that I was fucked up. It's called the zoomies. Um, force projecting your erect dick inside the girls' locker room. That's weird. Um, that's a little on the sexual assault side. That's if I had the force, I would jerk off. Um, the erotic Everybody. adventures of R two D two. What? How? How would that work? It works. <laughs> <laughs> if I had the force, I would jerk off everybody. All at the same time for yes. one massive masturbation orgy? Yes. Would it be an orgy at that point? It would solve the confusion in the world. Or would that be a Minus f- conservatives. I wouldn't jack them a off. A force circle jerk? Yeah. Minus the conservatives. I but would, is that... I'd leave them for their moms. That's a little also on like the rapey side. What if they don't consent to it? Well, if they're conservatives, they do. They consent to a circle jerk? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm Never. so confused. Uh, anyway, today we are talking about the phenomenal Claudia Gray book, uh, Master and Apprentice. This is post-Padawan, sort of, kind of. The difficult thing about releasing a podcast when a new book is coming out is the fact that I can't release the first episode because it literally just came out. And, and we haven't even finished reading it yet. And we're not cool. Del Rey like sends books to some people of notoriety, but they also send books to people I didn't even know existed. So they're kind of inconsistent. So it's not like we got the book before. Oh, no. We got it the day of. 
Actually, we yeah. Actually, or did we get it late? It was scheduled the day after. That's stupid. Yeah, so Amazon, go fuck yourself. So <laughs> Master and Apprentice is a story post uh pre Phantom Menace that takes Correct. place on a time that I don't remember. On a remember. time? Are you looking up the time? Yeah, I don't remember what the what our time was, to be honest. This is professional, but like like not really. The on uh, date Master and Apprentice date it takes place not in 2019. That's not what I wanted to know. That's when it came we came out, prepared. Right? Yeah, we came prepared. I don't see anything, Kaylee. Let me know. Okay. Anyway, do you want the um Timeline. synopsis? No. Oh. Okay. Um. Or do you want the synopsis? It takes place. Come on, I know it's right here. So professional. Um, in 40 BBY, the epilogue takes place in 32 BBY. And 32 BBY is when the Phantom Menace happens. Correct. So it's eight years before the Phantom Menace and... Obi-Wan's roughly around 18... Right, something like that. Because in know. in Padawan, he's sixteen years old. So I would say it's eighteen. It's eighteen. And Master and Apprentice is interesting because it's about Qui Gon and Obi Wan, which we didn't get in the Phantom Menace. George Lucas kind of likes going over the details, like not going over the details, and just kind of being like, "Here's two characters that like." They don't really have any personality or anything. Yeah, they really didn't in A Phantom Menace. They were just there. Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, Obi-Wan is like this Padawan who, like, says, like, a quirky thing and then pays it off a minute later. And then Qui-Gon's this guy who's really, really weird, but they don't go into why he's not like typical Jedi. It's just kind of like, here's stuff. We're we're not really going to bother explaining it or expanding on it. It just kind of... Exist well, like, we don't even really know in A Phantom Menace that Qui-Gon is that much different than the rest of the council, other than he just believes in prophecies. That's it. Well, well, I mean, like, that's not necessarily true. It does. Like, they they hit home a couple of times where it's like, yeah, if you just listen to the council, then, you know, you would be a council member. Hey, if, um, you know trading and gambling is not very Jedi-esque. Like, we know that, and we kind of get the Jedi Council, who's kind of a piece of shit in this and the other movies. So, I mean, there's a differentiation, but we don't care to explain the deep dive because Qui-Gon is going to die. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Like, there's a concept of if Qui-Gon lived, would Anakin have turned out any different? And we don't explore that at all. Like, and that's what's so interesting about this book is you not only get more Obi-Wan and find out that Obi-Wan was kind of a piece of shit, um, you get more Qui-Gon and how interesting Qui-Gon is. I mean, the the book is called Master and Apprentice, but if we're being completely honest, this is a book about Qui-Gon. Yeah, we get Obi-Wan parts, but really it's, it's, it's very surface level with Obi-Wan. Um, and, Qui-Gon you really get into everything because you meet Rail and you um, you know have flashbacks with Dooku and you kind of understand 
um, where Qui-Gon gets the obsessions of prophecies. And then also um, you, you really understand uh, his relationship with rail and how, um, you know, how, how Qui-Gon didn't really have a, um, I'm losing my train of thought, how he didn't really have a relationship with Dooku until Rail stepped in. And it, it it's a very similar situation that Obi-Wan doesn't even really have a relationship with Qui-Gon until Rail steps in again. Yeah, and it's like, you know, Padawan, like early, early, early in the book, we find out that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were kind of forced together and they have this like really weird relationship where... Qui-Gon is purposefully trying to maintain some sort of distance between Obi-Wan because he feels like they're incompatible. There are moments where they their communication is very lacking and Qui-Gon feels like it's a failure as a master and Obi-Wan feels like it's a failure as a Jedi. And there's also like moments where we get where we get introduced to our two side characters. Um Help me out here. Pax and Rahara. Yeah, and Rahara was a former slave, and Pax is a guy who was raised by droids. But Aurora, we get some interesting things about Qui Gon's views on slavery prior to the Phantom Menace. So when he runs into Anakin, you understand why he's trying to to free them. Yeah, and like you know, we get some things about prophecy in here where Qui Gon has. Obi-Wan posted up in the library the entire book just reading and researching prophecies and historical context and Obi-Wan just does not understand why he's doing those things and he's and he basically like questions Qui-Gon not as a way to like grow his enlightenment or learning but a way to like almost belittle or antagonate Qui-Gon where it's like I don't understand. Master Yoda said that these prophecies can lead you to the dark side. And Qui-Gon's like, well, literally everything can lead you to the dark side. Well, if you read these prophecies, what's keeping you from turning to the dark side? Well, that's pretty simple. I choose the light because it is the light. You know, it's like prophecies in themselves might not have anything to do with the real world, but we can understand about like previous individuals culture and their historical context through it's kind of like our our notion today if we don't learn from the past we're doomed to repeat it yes and no like i could see that but more so i think for qui-gon it's like a cultural thing and and i also think qui-gon really kind of believes in the prophecies but in a way he's ashamed to admit it like well and i mean you have to think you know, who showed him all of the prophecies? Somebody who stepped away from the Jedi, and we find out in Padawan that they're called the Lost, not like, um, what is it, the Lost 15 or whatever. It's just a general term for people who step away from the Jedi Order. So Ahsoka would be one of the Lost. Well, I think I think in um, ooh, Dooku Jedi Lost, they actually mention the not the lost but like the lost 12 like or whatever they're called because um i think trinus is a part of that or at least it's alluded to from the high republic but it's interesting to think like the jedi order specifically and this book goes into greater detail than that like obi-wan kind of turns his back on qui-gon because qui-gon has a vision and qui-gon's like no i'm trusting in the force and obi-wan's like that's kind of ludicrous i'm going to tell the council and 
like how your interpretation of a prophecy or your ter- interpretation of the force might cause the like result to be different. Like for example, Anakin had a vision of Padme dying, but instead of instead of like letting the force show him something, he tried to control it. And through his hands, Padme died. It's different here where Qui-Gon's like, I've seen a vision. I'm going to allow it to guide me. Okay, this is supposed to happen. Oh, this didn't happen. This is different. So it's almost like, you know, like it, there's an argument to be made that the, the prophecy of the chosen one, like is completely different from their interpretation. A prophecy misread could have been. So there's a lot of things in this book that are really, really interesting when it comes to stuff like that. I didn't know if you had a thought. You were just no, staring off no, the you, you you had a really long monologue, and so I was like, "Are you gonna segue into another thing?" Or no, I'm just I'm just putting my general thoughts on this book. Like, I don't know how you want to do this. This is our first book. This is I know it's weird. I know because like, we're we're so used to doing this. Is what happens in this chapter? Yeah, and I mean we've read this book a handful of times. Well, I have. I think Kayla's read it a couple of times. Yeah, but a couple. There's some really cool stuff in here. <laughs> oh my god. What? That's so weird. Like, yeah, there's cool things. Here you go. I mean, I don't know. Like, like talk about Qui-Gon. Like, what is the most interesting part of this book for you? Um <laughs> about how like Qui-Gon doesn't view sex as attachment, so he's okay. Oh with my her. god, I love that though. Because it, it's so it's so strange the difference between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And, you know, like you said earlier, we come to find out in Padawan that they're forced together. Um, and basically it's like y'all are complete opposites. We're trying to get both of y'all to move inwards from your opposite direction. So, like, um, Qui-Gon would be someone far left. Obi-Wan, not like literal, like yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. like conservative liberals. But Obi-Wan is... Technically, very he's he is very liberal in his views. Technically, he's so, very traditional. Obi Wan. Did I say Obi Wan? I meant Qui Gon. Qui Gon's yeah. very far left, so he's very lax laxadaisical about the rules that the Jedi have put forth. And Obi Wan's like, "Fuck that! This is the way it is. This is what the ancient Jedi texts say. This is what it's going to be." It's granted, like- it's not really the ancient Jedi text because, um. You know, you can you can translate it to, um, you know, our reality is the Bible. This is what it says. It's the way it's supposed to be. Da 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 da. But what it what is what is the Bible? It is uh, multiple translations, multiple different um, people's viewpoints throughout history. It depends on who you learn it from as to. Um, what parts of the book they're trying to push forward onto you, what type of views they're trying to push forward onto you, how you yourself interpret it. So, you know, um, you could have two younglings basically that have gone through the Jedi temple about to be Padawans. They, they've gotten the exact same information from the exact same people. They were in like one little group. I forget what they call it, uh, when going through the temple, but, and they're in the exact same group, but depending on um, that Padawan's or Youngling's point of view of things, of how they interpreted it coming from somebody else, is going to be drastic in in how they go about, you know, be, 
becoming a Padawan and going through their journey and whatnot, because, you know, you can compare, um, for example, I think of, uh, in Clone Wars, when you see not Luminara, but I guess it is Luminara, um, and her Padawan, the one that goes rogue and actually, um, does what? Barriss Afi. Yes. Barriss Afi. Um, who does what they accuse Ahsoka of doing. They probably came through, you know, the youngling training and Padawan training roughly around the same time, but it's, it's going to depend on all the different pieces going outwards from them and from other people into their view. So you can get two completely different people, but anyway, circle back around. The whole idea is to get, Qui-Gon to come back to the center and to get Obi-Wan to come closer to the center because they are two extremes of the teachings of the Jedi Order. Yeah, and Qui-Gon's all about like perspective and listening, and that's something he feels like the Jedi Council doesn't do. Like they have no perspective. They go they go by a certain guideline and he feels like there's this this kind of complacency with the Jedi and the Jedi Council and how it's evolving like he even goes in so far as saying he doesn't believe that children should be taken when they're young because they haven't experienced life or they haven't grown to know anything and taking them when they're young kind of destroys that human element of experience and love and compassion how can you learn to love something if you've never really been a part of anything besides the Jedi Order. And like even in the Age of Republic comic, which we're covering, it's like he doesn't even believe that the Jedi Temple should be on Coruscant, the homeland of intergalactic politics, because there's a separation between like what the Force wants and how the Jedi Order and the Jedi take these things. And Qui-Gon more so listens to the Force as like a way to guide him and not this tool and that's kind of how the Jedi Council views the force which is like this tool to get like certain things done and because they simply view it so narrowly they a lot of they allow a lot of things to slip through the cracks and whatnot like go ahead so I was I was just gonna say it's funny that you can you, interrupt me by yeah the way. I was trying to that um the that you brought up the thing about not taking um the younglings at a young age because in this book we we have rail and he he is literally the epitome of not taking someone at an early age. He is the oldest up to this point ever in Jedi history. And um you know, they they have said that Obi-Wan was even taken at a young at an old age, which was like 3, and that was old for them or something. Uh, and then Anakin being taken at an old age, which he was what 8? Yeah. 8 years old. But Rail, I believe he was like 12. See, I don't think he was as old as Anakin. No, I I understood him to be much older because um anyway, I I think because he actually had an accent. He had, he had a he had a very like what, like a southern drawl type accent and whatnot. Are you looking this up? Yes. Okay. Um but it's my understanding that Rail was taken at a much older age than most uh, younglings, Padawans, whatever you want to call them, because he never let go of the traditions of his culture. But, you know, if I need you to double check me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like the age wise. Because I'm trying to keep talking. I know. <laughs> yeah, let me just listen to myself talk. Um, 
but you know, with Anakin, he's taken eight years old. Is he even able to understand culture? Do they even have culture on Tatooine compared to other places? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't find it. So I'm going to say no that he wasn't twelve. I swore he was twelve. Uh, you can Google it if you want. Fine. But I think I think Rel Avaros is an interesting Jedi because he's like. He's ultimately what the Jedi don't want to be, and like his master was Dooku. He's a mentor, a mentor of Qui Gon, but yet he let his own Padawan die um, through a tragedy, and he kind of has this growing attachment, which he attaches to the Queen. He's he's currently defending, and because he has this attachment with the Queen, he doesn't see the things that. For example, the reader would see or everybody else would see, um, which is her schemes to kind of become queen. I found it and I was wrong. He was five. Yeah, I told you. I swore swore he was so much older, but it it must just be that like um, there's not really there's I mean, honestly, there's really not a culture on Tatooine. And I guess if you're a slave, even if there is a culture, do you partake in that culture? What do you mean? Like, so in in this book, they talk a lot about how Rail is the way he is because he came into the Jedi Order so late in life because he still hold, held on to his attachments back home in the culture of his home. You know, Anakin's even older. He's eight years old. He doesn't bring with him any culture. The only thing he brings with him is the attachment of his mother. Now, my question is... If you're a slave, do you hold on to the culture of that planet or of that society you're in? Well, I think it changes your perspective because when Anakin goes from a slave to the Jedi Order, he kind of views the Jedi Order as a bit of like servitude, like a form of slavery. Like it's emotional slavery. It's abuse to him and in, in like, a, like a manner of speaking, like in Attack of the Clones, we get a lot of that. And in Revenge of the Sith, when he finally does turn, we kind of get his feelings on the Jedi Order, even more so in the Clone Wars. Like he's willing to go farther than the Jedi are to complete the task because he feels like there isn't a defeat. And I think like him being trapped in that bondage and him being able to like go to war or go out on missions with Padme, or like do these bizarre things is kind of like when he takes it too far because he's in that kind of bondage. So like if there is a culture that he took from Tatooine to the Jedi Order, it's probably the fact that he never left as a slave in a way. And that's something I feel like Qui-Gon would agree with. Like like he even mentions in this book that if we stay attached to the shit, if we stay attached to the text, then we no longer like continue to learn from it. It just becomes shackles. I mean, I guess we really see that with Rahara in this. Like, she's only technically out of slavery like a year, maybe two, yeah. I think, at this point. And so she is still heavily a- a- attached to. Do you call it? Is it pronounced Zerka? Or yeah, the Zerka core. Zerka core. So she is still heavily attached to the fact that she was a slave. This is what is defining her, and. um even in the book, she gets captured by him again, and they're like, oh, no, you're a runaway. You're still a slave. And she's like, the fuck I am. Yeah. Take it, I mean, taking it even further, Pax is a guy who's raised by a, a droid. He is enslaved in the way he was raised. 
and then and and there there's there's not going to be any changing for him because with droids um anyway they are they're very much by the book this is the way it is this 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 it's very routine it's very um expected outcomes of everything you know what's going to happen because this is the way it is and for pax he he really doesn't change no. at all like he he is definitely a slave to the mentality of his raising and even and take it a bit further there's there's like a bit of obi-wan who kind of feels like that as well where he doesn't really evolve until the clone wars happen and he's around anakin which if Anakin reminds him of anybody, it's Qui-Gon. And it's not until it's too late that Obi-Wan eventually evolves out of his shackles as well. So it's like this idea of like personal and like ideological prisons that the Jedi Order, for better or worse, have created and populated. And it's it's no it's no one it's not necessary. I mean, it is their fault because it's bureaucratic, but it's like straight up hypocrisy that you know they're they're anti Sith, but they can't have a reflection on themselves on like what's going on. Like they even offer Qui Gon a Jedi Council spot because they felt like they were too narrow minded. But like for Qui Gon, that isn't necessarily continuously listening to the Force. That's like a that's like a, a an almost indentured servitude, indentured servitude to him. Because he's stuck in a position where he can't really do anything. No, he, he's never going to be able to change what the council is. He's just going to be basically a little bee in their ear constantly telling them, no, you should be doing this. You should be listening to the force this way. And they're just going to ignore him. They're yeah. just going to swat him away. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it even goes as so far as like Yoda fucking hates Qui-Gon. <laughs> hates well, and his it, guts. And it's so weird because he is the master of his master. Yeah, and I and I think that's like a burden on Yoda a little bit though, like it's almost like, oh, you know, you're just like your master was, you know. Like, how did I create this? Kind of in a way, it's like Yoda feels like Qui Gon's always a step away from becoming Dooku. But well, but it's weird though because if you think back, so (laughs) honestly, all right, let let's take it from Ahsoka. Okay, originally her master didn't want a Padawan, right? If you think about the Clone Wars movie. Yeah. Okay. Anakin, all right, which was her master. Obi-Wan really didn't want to take over as his master. No. But he promised. But hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay. Qui-Gon did not want to take Obi-Wan on as a master. Okay. Dooku and Qui-Gon, they were put together. Dooku didn't want a Padawan. Okay, then go another step further than that. Only reason Yoda took on Dooku as a Padawan was because nobody else wanted Dooku. And that and that do do you see how yeah. like fucked up all of that becomes though? Yeah, and it's also like Yoda took on Count Dooku not necessarily as like nobody else wanted to, but almost as like a challenge. Like in Dooku Jedi Lost, like Dooku. He shows up every single day and Yoda's by the tree and he just keeps talking and talking and talking and Yoda's just meditating. Like there's there's nowhere on the council where it's like or in the Jedi Order where it's like, okay, you're talking 
And Dooku was a little bit of like an overzealous piece of shit at that age. But at the same time, there's no talking about anything. It's always, hey, you need to shut up and listen. But you can't listen in my like in my mind. You cannot listen if you haven't resolved your words yet. So like in a way, the Jedi Order skips past the first step. And he's like, you need to listen to everybody around you because it's about everybody else. But you're not solving your shit. So for like Dooku, he passes on his baggage to Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon passes on his baggage to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan is like, he doesn't really have that much baggage. But if he does have a baggage, it's the idea that he's not the right guy for Anakin. So he always feels like he needs to put him in his place rather than let him free a little bit and talk to him. Like there's always this distance apart from them and they only become like brothers in a way because of war and because they have to have each other's back it's almost it's it's out of necessity almost and that's kind of how like the whole jedi order kind of like expands in the prequel trilogy it's not because like i'm not gonna say not because they care but they don't have the foresight and everything's out of necessity like they could have avoided the clone wars they really could have if they had like opened their eyes a bit and solved their own shit before they even listened, but they skipped both steps and they didn't want to solve their own shit and they didn't want to listen. They just went into the trap hoping that it would evolve. And it did. It did exactly like they wanted it to. And it was right in front of their face, but it's like Mace Windu says, um, our ability to use the force has diminished. It's like, well, yeah, because you haven't been listening to it for a long time. And, and that's kind of where, like, you know, in The Phantom Menace, you know, uh, Maul versus Obi-Wan versus Qui-Gon, where it's like Duel of the Fates, where it's like the duel for Anakin's fate. Like, if Qui-Gon survives, will he be able to, like, raise Anakin? If he dies, can Obi-Wan step up to the plate? Does he really want to step up to the plate? Or is it just a last, like, farewell omen to, like, his master? You know, it's all out of necessity. And it's shit. Let's change subjects a little bit. We're really getting deep in here. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the plot for a second. Okay. So we we meet once we get to... Oh, God. What's the planet's name? Pajal. Pajal? Yeah. Pajal. We get some varactyls in here. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) side note. When I was first reading this... I did not know it was pronounced Varactyl until we had talked about the book like a year later. I was like pronouncing it like Varicidal or something oh, in I my head. Oh, I think we were watching Revenge of the Sith and I was like, look, Kaylee, it's a Varactyl. And yeah. Like, what? I was like, it's, that's, that's how you fucking pronounce that? That's some <laughs> bullshit. I was pronouncing it Varicidal. <laughs> and I didn't even like put two and two together. You're like, it's, it's literally in Master and Apprentice. I was like, what? Yeah. That's when it's calm? They race with those things. Okay. So anyway, we get on Pajal. Uh, Pajal. Anyway, one of a P-I-J-A-L. I am. It's Pajal. It's Pajal. It's fine. Pajal. You're fine. Okay. Uh, and we meet Fanry. And this is not some, this, this character did not do what I thought she would do. I, I thought she was just a helpless little shit. Actually, when I started rereading the book, I I saw a lot to where like it doesn't make any sense. Like 
from the very beginning she was plotting doing this in small little things like the fact that basically a circus was doing terrorist acts like that in my mind i was like that's only something a child could invent because yeah. that doesn't make any like sense. there's there's little things all throughout the book that give away that she's behind all of this and that she's just she's basically manipulating everybody in 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 the book yeah um to get what she wants um like the first the first time i saw it was honestly the first time that we see her um when there was the first explosion on the moon um you know the the Zerk, the zerka um corporation was coming in to talk with her and they were you know trying to get ready for the uh treaty signing and whatever and she's well aware that the there's like higher up zerkas there when the explosion happens and you know I, I can just imagine like a little smirk going on inside of her head in this situation when there's the 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 bombing, and I'm like, you're well aware they're standing right there, and you say something like, "Come on." Well, it also like like um uh, like my real Avaros thought that I didn't finish earlier, which was like, <laughs> sorry, um, uh, which was like, Rail is in a spot where. He's attached his so his, um, himself so much to Fanry because he lost his Padawan that he doesn't see the obvious things the readers might see. So it's like rereading this book, like is it, it's so. But I mean, obvious. but it, but it's it's the first time through. It's not though. No, we're it's we're not in rail it's, spot. We're we're definitely in rail spot, and we are so blindsided that it's it's a little girl. It's a little girl who grew up in royalty, and that's all she's ever known. And we are so blindsided by what we see on the outside that we don't actually see the little hints that she puts forth throughout the entire story. And Qui-Gon only, like, they eventually unfoil the plot because he's listening to the Force. That is legitimately the way because they don't really have any evidence of anything. Um, like, they try to do an assassination attempt that that obviously didn't exist. They tried to do all these things, and they didn't have any evidence to mount up to anything. But it wasn't until Qui-Gon got a vision that he was like, holy shit, we've we've got it. Now we just have to let this thing unfurl. And that's kind of when Obi-Wan, growing sick and tired of his games, is kind of like, no, we're not we're not going to do this. I'm going to call the council. But it's it's like super interesting how their relationship evolves like from Coruscant, Corkunt, over to Pajal, where it's like Qui-Gon won't even teach him a different saber technique, and he would know why if he just opened up and listened. Well, and you know, so far with reading Padawan, that so far with weeding, weeding, weeding. Let's not get into speech impediments. So far with reading Padawan, um, it's. Obi-Wan has the same problem that the council does. They, it's a failure to listen. Who said that? Padme said that. Um, yep. Yeah. But, but he has the, the failure to listen and, and Obi-Wan's failure to listen is to the force in, in Padawan. He really struggles with meditating and connecting with the force through meditation. And if we're being completely honest, how often do we really see Obi-Wan in his lifespan legitimately sit down and meditate and listen to the force. It's not until after everything happens. Honestly, I don't remember it until 
um, really the I mean the Obi Wan. Well, yeah, that... show, but he doesn't. He doesn't ever sit down and physically meditate. No, but he does. He does find himself, and I think that's that's interesting. Like, he, like finding himself within the Force. You mean? Yeah, because that's the only way he was able to see Qui Gon. I don't think that, like, even Yoda, to an extent, post Order sixty six, where it's like, and we see this best with Cal Kestis, and Cal Kestis is actually the best example because. He's able to like sit down and look around the things that he'd go to. He actually is able to confront his fears. But we don't really see that. And that's from a Padawan. We don't really see it from the Jedi Council, per se. You know? Not even from Obi-Wan. I mean... I mean, we see... We do see Yoda a lot in Clone Wars actually physically meditate. So that's what, that's what I'm getting at. The only one... The uh, only Jedi that I ever really see physically meditate until, crap, Ahsoka and Luke Skywalker is Yoda, and we see Qui-Gon meditate. But we never I never really understand what Yoda is meditating and what he's understanding through the meditation and listening to the Force. But with Qui-Gon, because we don't really have a perspective. There's no deliberation on Yoda's part. Like, after every crisis or thing happens, it's always, mm, must meditate on this. And it's like, okay, well, there's there's a time for meditation and there's a time for evaluating yourself. You know, with, with Qui-Gon, we, we quite literally see when he, like, touches the grass and he gets close to the earth, he starts, you, you see his meditation format, really, and how he's connecting to the Force. You also see that with... Um, Avar Chris in the High Republic of how she sees things as a song and she's actually truly connecting to the Force. I never see that with Obi-Wan. I never see that with Yoda. Never see that with Anakin. Well, again, I feel like there's a differentiation we have to draw. We have to be careful between now until the Rise of Skywalker where it's like there's a difference between the Force and the Living Force. Like, you know, I mentioned earlier that the Jedi Council views the Force as like a tool. And Qui-Gon views it as literally a guide. So when he's connecting to the Force, he's acting as if the Force is a living object. Where he's communicating with it. He's understanding it. He's empathetic with it. Um, but in, in, in the, the modern realm of Jedi, technically, if we're, we're thinking about the Skywalker saga, he's the only one that does that really... Truly, until, I mean, I don't really know a whole lot about Cal Kestis. I feel like um, Caleb Doom kind of goes into that, but he doesn't even fully understand it because of his teachings from his life as a Padawan in the Jedi Order. Ezra feels feels it, okay, a little bit. Um, I think Ahsoka definitely does. Um, Luke, for sure, does. But then we we start to really see it with, with Rey, with her actually being able in in the Rise of Skywalker being able to read the ancient Jedi text and her trying to understand the living force more so than just the force itself yeah. and she finally truly does at the end of the movie yeah and it's almost like Qui we said before that Qui-Gon would be the perfect high republic Jedi there's there's a differentiation i think between the high republic Jedi because they are so in tune with the living force. The force is literally communicating to them in certain ways as a song, as a fire, as an ocean. 
you know, as a, just a great might. They have such a personal and intimate connection with the living force that they're able to do things that nobody else can do. Avar, Chris, and the Jedi across the galaxy moving debris in space. But they they stopped listening at a certain point, and we don't know what point yet because the High Republic hasn't evolved that much. But they stopped listening to that in a certain way, and it became so much more bureaucratic that the Force became almost a piece of legislation rather than a living text. <laughs> and like Luke is this like he he doesn't have a structure post Return of the Jedi, and Luke listens to the Living Force. It's kind of the thing that like gets him to Palpatine's little shack where he finds the compass um with red kyber crystals and things like that but there's a certain part where even luke becomes so burdened and so shackled by the ancient jedi text that he loses ben inadvertently you know with ray she has no shackles and she has an ability with leia who has some training but she's not a master necessarily like she's ray's master but she has like a relationship, an actual relationship, an actual bond with Leia to where it's almost like both of them can listen like with the living force. And Rey, even so far as being able to hear every single Jedi that came before, you know, and it's it's almost something like Jedis don't figure it out until they become one with the force necessarily, you know. So I, you know, I think there's a differentiation between just the force and the living force. And I feel like like it gets completely diminished after the Phantom Menace because Qui-Gon says it and like the first thing he says to Obi-Wan, you know, uh, be mindful of your surroundings, trust your instincts, be mindful of the living force. And it's like, well, Master Yoda, you know. He never he never truly listens to him until the, the Obi-Wan show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in Revenge of the Sith, I don't, I don't even feel like he listens in so far because, I mean, I get that people think that Anakin's too far gone, but he's really not. Um, I mean, the man cried after murdering people. He's not gone. But it, there, there's something to say there, like this passing down of baggage and trauma from one master to the next to where it finally comes down to Obi-Wan need, needing to save Anakin. And instead, instead of listening to his friend, like he should have been all these years instead of this or that, um, he he sliced and diced. And I'm not saying it's Obi Wan's fault or responsibility of Anakin, but you know if you're gonna tell somebody that they were your brother after you cut them to pieces, then you do have a stake in it. And I think like ultimately that's every single master that came before his fault as well. Qui Gon, not necessarily so much because his life was ended. Like he never got a finality his finality was that anakin needed to be trained mm -hmm. and that was it so a prophecy misread could have been dun, dun, dun. thanks yoda yeah i don't know i i love this book this is <sighs> I always... it, it, it ties in a, a large portion of of uncertainty that we had before um a phantom menace and this makes me love phantom menace like because I, I hated it before. I really did. And then I read this book, and it made it make so much more sense. And it's it's not even that it made The Phantom Menace make more sense to me. It was like, because I always approach this as like a character study. What what does it do for the characters? And like for me, The Phantom Menace doesn't really have characters. And it's not really until this book that I really feel like 
Qui-Gon. Like it it's not until this book that I feel like the duel of fates makes sense and has stakes. Really. Mm-hmm. Because you kind of get those characters fleshed out even more. So I love this book. I always like it's always in my top three or top five. I always go in and out. I don't know. But Claudia Gray's great, you know. I mean, this is definitely one of her or one of my more favorite books of hers. Um, she did a couple in the High Republic. I've only read one of them, but this one, for her wise, definitely takes the cake. Yeah, this and Bloodline. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. But we will eventually get there. Um, Kaylee, you got any more thoughts on this? No, I mean it's a it's a it's a phenomenal book. If you have not read this yet, um, you know we we didn't really go a whole lot into the plot and the synopsis and and what happens because like you said it's it's more so a a character study it 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 helps out um, a phantom menace tremendously um i would definitely recommend reading this book if you have not yet um i mean i it it just it does wonders for for qui-gon and really understanding um the beginning of the, the fall of the jedi order yeah, because I think if we talked about this book as just like explained its plot, it's basically an adventure like every single Star Wars book. If we just explained it from the point of view of the story or the synopsis, then I feel like every Star Wars story starts to feel samey. It, yeah, it's very, very, very Because even the movies symmetrical. in some aspects feel very, like they parallel each other and they're very samey. Like the Mandalorian kind of parallels Dave Filoni's The Clone Wars, Bad Batch, you know, parallels all that. Mm-hmm. So it, if you don't look at it from a character perspective, I feel like you're missing out on the entire point. So like when we get to Queen's Peril and Queen's Shadow and stuff like that, we're not going to be talking about the story and so far as much, just like what we learned in the characters and themselves and like how the characters have grown in our eyes. Well, I guess we got nothing to say about this. Um, <laughs> you can follow us at WTE Pod. This is a Repeater Studios podcast. We also do Marvel and DC. You can follow those both at their respective names, DCEU on repeat and MCU on repeat. We also have a Patreon that'll be hyperlinked in the description below. Um, if you want to interact with us, we have an entire thread on the movies that we're doing on our road to Phantom Menace. If you've read them, if you haven't read them, just give our give your thoughts on it. We kind of want the Phantom Menace to be like this big celebration, this big special. So if you love the Phantom Menace, um, go ahead and, well, give, give us your, your love. thoughts. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, you can personally follow me on Twitter at Blind Flim Flam. And you can follow me at Stillbook Daddy. Are you back to Stillbook Daddy? I've been at Stillbook Daddy. Oh, it's just your other name you keep yeah. changing? Ah. It should be like some dude with some podcast. Is that what it is right now? Yeah. You weirdo. Yeah. 